Section 12 of A Half Century of Conflict. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Half Century of Conflict by Francis Parkman. Chapter 8, Part 1. 1710-1711. Walker's Expedition. Military aid from Old England to New, promised in one year and actually given in the next, was a fact too novel and surprising to escape the notice either of friends or of foes. The latter drew strange conclusions from it. Two Irish deserters from an English station in Newfoundland appeared at the French post of Placentia, full of stories of British and provincial armaments against Canada. On this, an idea seized the French commandant, Costabel, and he hastened to make it known to the colonial minister. It was to the effect that the aim of England was not so much to conquer the French colonies as to reduce her own to submission, especially Massachusetts, a kind of republic which has never willingly accepted a governor from its king. In sending ships and soldiers to the Bastonnais, under pretense of helping them to conquer their French neighbours, Costabel is sure that England only means to bring them to a dutiful subjection i do not think he writes on another occasion that they are so blind as not to see that they will insensibly be brought under the yoke of the parliament of old england but by the cruelties that the canadians and indians exercise in continual incursions upon their lands i judge that they would rather be delivered from the inhumanity of such neighbours than preserve all the former powers of their little republic he thinks, however, that the design of England ought to be strongly represented to the council at Boston, and that M. de la Rondenie will be a good man to do it, as he speaks English, has lived in Boston, and has many acquaintances there. The minister, Ponchartrain, was struck by Costabel's suggestion, and wrote both to him and to Vaudrill in high approval of it. To Vaudrill he says, Monsieur de Costabel has informed me that the chief object of the armament made by the English last year was to establish their sovereignty at Boston and New York, the people of these provinces having always maintained a sort of republic, governed by their council, and having been unwilling to receive absolute governors from the kings of England. This destination of the armament seems to me probable, and it is much to be wished that the council at Boston could be informed of the designs of the English court, and shown how important it is for that province to remain in the state of a republic. The king would even approve our helping it to do so. If you see any prospect of success, no means should be spared to secure it. The matter is of the greatest importance, but care is essential to employ persons who have the talents necessary for conducting it, besides great secrecy and prudence, as well as tried probity and fidelity. This affair demands your best attention, and must be conducted with great care and precaution, in order that no false step may be taken. Ponchartrain could not be supposed to know that while under her old charter Massachusetts, called by him and other Frenchmen the government of Boston, had chosen her own governor, New York had always received hers from the court. What is most curious in this affair is the attitude of Louis the Fourteenth, who abhorred republics and yet was prepared to bolster up one or more of them beyond the Atlantic, thinking, no doubt, that they would be too small and remote to be dangerous. Costabel, who had suggested the plan of warning the council at Boston, proceeded to unfold his scheme for executing it. This was to send Laurent Denis to Boston in the spring, under the pretext of treating for an exchange of prisoners, which would give him an opportunity of insinuating to the colonists that the forces which the Queen of England sends to join their own for the conquest of Acadia and Canada have no object whatever but that of ravishing from them the liberties they have kept so firmly and so long, but which would be near ruin if the Queen should become mistress of New France by the fortune of war. 
and that either they must have sadly fallen from their ancient spirit or their chiefs have been corrupted by the court of london if they do not see that they are using their own weapons for the destruction of their republic la rondonie accordingly received his instructions which authorized him to negotiate with the bastonnais as with an independent people and offered them complete exemption from french hostility if they would promise to give no more aid to old england either in ships or men he was told at the same time to approach the subject with great caution and unless he found willing listeners to pass off the whole as a pleasantry he went to boston where he was detained in consequence of preparations then on foot for attacking canada he tried to escape but his vessel was seized and moored under the guns of the town and it is needless to say that his mission was a failure the idea of costabel or rather of la ronde for it probably originated with him was not without foundation for though there is no reason to believe that in sending ships and soldiers against the french england meant to use them against the liberties of her own colonies there can be no doubt that she thought those liberties excessive and troublesome and on the other side while the people of massachusetts were still fondly attached to the land of their fathers and still called it home they were at the same time enamoured of their autonomy and jealously watchful against any abridgment of it while la rondonie was warning massachusetts of the danger of helping england to conquer canada another frenchman in a more prophetic spirit declared that england would make a grave mistake if she helped her colonies to the same end there is an antipathy this writer affirms between the english of europe and those of america who will not endure troops from england even to guard their forts and he goes on to say that if the french colonies should fall those of england would control the continent from newfoundland to florida old england such are his words will not imagine that these various provinces will then unite shake off the yoke of the english monarchy and erect themselves into a democracy forty or fifty years later several frenchmen made the same prediction but at this early day when the british provinces were so feeble and divided it is truly a remarkable one the anonymous prophet regards the colonies of england massachusetts above all as a standing menace to those of france and he proposes a drastic remedy against the danger this is a powerful attack on boston by land and sea for which he hopes that god will prepare the way when boston is reduced we would call together all the chief men of the other towns of new england who would pay heavy sums to be spared from the flames as for boston it should be pillaged its workshops manufactures shipyards and all its fine establishments ruined and its ships sunk if these gentle means are used thoroughly he thinks that new england will cease to be a dangerous rival for some time especially if rodeline rhode island is treated like boston while the correspondent of the french court was thus consigning new england to destruction an attack was preparing against canada less truculent but quite as formidable as that which he urged against boston the french colony was threatened by an armament stronger in proportion to her present means of defence than that which brought her under british rule half a century later but here all comparison ceases for there was no pit to direct and inspire and no wolf to lead the letters of dudley the proposals of vetch the representations of nicholson the promptings of jeremiah dummer agent of massachusetts in england and the speech made to the queen by the four indians who had been the london sensation of the last year had all helped to draw the attention of the ministry to the new world and the expediency of driving the french out of it other influences conspired to the same end or in all likelihood little or nothing would have been done england was tiring of the continental war the cost of which threatened ruin marlborough was rancorously attacked and his most staunch supporters the whigs had given place to the tories led by the lord treasurer harley and the secretary of state st john soon afterwards lord bolingbroke never was party spirit more bitter and the new ministry found a congenial ally in the coarse and savage but powerful genius of swift 
who incensed by real or imagined slights from the late minister godolphin gave all his strength to the winning side the prestige of marlborough's victories was still immense harley and st john dreaded it as their chief danger and looked eagerly for some means of counteracting it such means would be supplied by the conquest of new france to make america a british continent would be an achievement almost worth blenheim or ramillies and one too in which britain alone would be the gainer whereas the enemies of marlborough with swift at their head contended that his greatest triumphs turned more to the profit of holland or germany than of england moreover to send a part of his army across the atlantic would tend to cripple his movements and diminish his fame st john entered with ardor into the scheme seven veteran regiments five of which were from the army in flanders were ordered to embark but in the choice of commanders the judgment of the ministers was not left free there were influences that they could not disregard the famous sarah duchess of marlborough lately the favorite of the feeble but wilful queen had lost her good graces and given place to mrs masham one of the women of her bedchamber the new favorite had a brother john hill known about the court as jack hill whom marlborough had pronounced good for nothing but who had been advanced to the rank of colonel and then of brigadier through the influence of mrs masham and though his agreeable social qualities were his best recommendation he was now appointed to command the troops on the canada expedition it is not so clear why the naval command was given to admiral sir hovenden walker a man whose incompetence was soon to become notorious extreme care was taken to hide the destination of the fleet even the lords of the admiralty were kept ignorant of it some thought the ships bound for the west indies some for the south sea nicholson was sent to america with orders to the several colonies to make ready men and supplies he landed at boston on the eighth of june the people of the town who were nearly all whigs were taken by surprise expecting no such enterprise on the part of the tory ministry and their perplexity was not diminished when they were told that the fleet was at hand and that they were to supply it forthwith with provisions for ten weeks there was no time to lose the governors of new york connecticut and rhode island were summoned to meet at new london and dudley and nicholson went thither to join them here plans were made for the double attack for while walker and hill were to sail up the st lawrence against quebec nicholson as in the former attempt was to move against montreal by way of lake champlain in a few days the arrangements were made and the governors hastened back to their respective posts when dudley reached boston he saw nantasket roads crowded with transports and ships of war and the pastures of noddles island studded with tents the fleet had come on the twenty fourth having had what the admiral calls by the blessing of god a favorable and extraordinary passage being but seven weeks and two days between plymouth and nantasket the admiral and the general had been welcomed with all honor the provincial secretary with two members of the council conducted them to town amid salutes from the batteries of copps hill and fort hill and the boston militia regiment received them under arms after which they were feasted at the principal tavern and accompanied in ceremony to the lodgings provided for them when the troops were disembarked and the tents pitched curious townspeople and staring rustics crossed to noddles island now east boston to gaze with wonder on a military pageant the like of which new england had never seen before yet their joy at this unlooked-for succor was dashed with deep distrust and jealousy they dreaded these new and formidable friends with their imperious demeanor and exacting demands the british officers on their part were no better pleased with the colonists and one of them colonel king of the artillery thus gives vent to his feelings you'll find in my journal what difficulties we met with through the misfortune that the colonies were not informed of our coming two months sooner 
and through the interestedness, ill-nature, and sourness of these people, whose government, doctrine, and manners, whose hypocrisy and canting are insupportable, and no man living but one of General Hill's good sense and good nature could have managed them. But if such a man met with nothing he could depend on, although vested with the Queen's royal power and authority, and supported by a number of troops sufficient to reduce by force all the colonies, tis easy to determine the respect and obedience Her Majesty may reasonably expect from them and he gives it as his conviction that till all the colonies are deprived of their charters and brought under one government they will grow more stiff and disobedient every day it will be seen that some coolness on the part of the bostonians was not unnatural but whatever may have been the popular feeling the provincial authorities did their full part towards supplying the needs of the newcomers for dudley with his strong tory leanings did not share the prevailing jealousy and the country members of the assembly were anxious before all things to be delivered from war parties the problem was how to raise the men and furnish the supplies in the least possible time the action of the assembly far from betraying any slackness was worthy of a military dictatorship all ordinary business was set aside bills of credit for forty thousand pounds were issued to meet the needs of the expedition it was ordered that the prices of provisions and other necessaries of the service should stand fixed at the point where they stood before the approach of the fleet was known sheriffs and constables jointly with the queen's officers were ordered to search all the town for provisions and liquors and if the owners refused to part with them at the prescribed prices to break open doors and seize them stringent and much-needed acts were passed against harboring deserters provincial troops in greater number than the ministry had demanded were ordered to be raised at once and quartered upon the citizens with or without their consent at the rate of eightpence a day for each man warrants were issued for impressing pilots and also mechanics and labourers who in spite of puritan scruples were required to work on sundays such measures if imposed by england would have roused the most bitter resentment even when ordered by their own representatives they caused a sullen discontent among the colonists and greatly increased the popular dislike of their military visitors it was certain that when the expedition sailed and the operation of the new enactment ceased prices would rise and hence the compulsion to part with goods at low fixed rates was singularly trying to the commercial temper it was a busy season too with the farmers and they showed no haste to bring their produce to the camp though many of the principal inhabitants bound themselves by mutual agreement to live on their family stores of salt provisions in order that the troops might be better supplied with fresh this failed to soothe the irritation of the british officers aggravated by frequent desertions which the colonists favoured and by the impossibility of finding pilots familiar with the st lawrence some when forced into the service made their escape to the great indignation of walker who wrote to the governor her majesty will resent such actions in a very signal manner and when it shall be represented that the people here live as if there were no king in israel but every one does what seems right in his own eyes measures will be taken to put things upon a better foot for the future at length however every preparation was made the supplies were all on board and after a grand review of the troops on the fields of noddles island the whole force set sail on the thirtieth of july the provincials wishing them success and heartily rejoicing that they were gone the fleet consisted of nine ships of war and two bomb catchers with about sixty transports store ships hospital ships and other vessels british and provincial they carried the seven British regiments, numbering, with the artillery train, about 5,500 men, besides 600 marines and 1,500 provincials, counting, with the sailors, nearly 12,000 in all. End of section 12. Recording by Josh Kirsch.